Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Eleanor Goldfield will return later in May. Today on the program, I share with you Freedom of Expression, a Lumicon panel. Lumicon is a conference that's held in Northern California. It was a Zoom panel that I hosted with award-winning author Maya Kababe. The panel also included children's book illustrator Noah Grigny. Stay with us today on the Project Censored show, Freedom of Expression. It talks about the dangers of banning books. Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's show, we have a banned books theme on freedom of expression, a Lumicon panel. With Maya Kababe, Noah Grigny, it also had two teen student activists from Northern California. We have permission to share this program with you from all of the event's organizers, including the parents of the minor students. Special thanks to Karen Ballerini and teachers Mike Watt and Nathan Liebkap. Here is that panel conversation that I hosted, Freedom of Expression. Welcome to LumaCon's Zoom of the Month. My name is Mike Watt. I'm a local teacher here in Petaluma, and we are honored to have some distinguished guests to talk about banned books, which has been a huge thing throughout the library systems and uh, throughout the United States. And we are very honored to have a couple of banned book artists, banned artists with us today. We have Karen Ballerini. She is with the Petaluma Regional Library and she's the teen librarian. Say hi, Karen. Hi, nice to meet you all. We have Nathan Leibkamp. He is a local librarian at a high school. We also have two student activists with us. Joining us, we have Chloe and Jupiter, who are members of our local APT chapter, Amor Para Todos. Say hi, Jupiter and Chloe. Oh, hi. We also have, as our moderator, Mickey Huff. Mickey Huff, a professor at Diablo Valley College president of the nonprofit Media Freedom Foundation and co-editor of Project Censored. How'd I do, Mickey? Sounds good. I appreciate you being here, Mickey. And also we have Noah Gringy, Noah Gringy, who's a illustrator of Feels Good to Be Yourself, the everyday, every body book, and has an upcoming show at the Boston Children's Museum. And Noah's here from Atlanta and also our perennial favorite with us many times at Lumicon. We have Maya Kobabe, author, illustrator, most recently of Gender Queer, a memoir, and very popular on the banned book circuit. Your book was front and center on PBS when they're talking about banned books. 
and yours was in the center of the screenshot. So congratulations on stirring it up. All right, everybody, we'd like to start off with Mickey. Would you like to ask some questions? It's an honor to be here, Mike, Nathan, Karen, Sonoma County Library. I want to give a big shout out to librarians everywhere. Librarians are my favorite rad people. They are on the front lines of information literacy. They are amazing. They are amazing stewards of human knowledge and wisdom that they share with the community. And I think that in many cases, they're often overlooked or un under-recognized. So I wanted to start by giving a big thanks to all the librarians out there, especially in my former, uh, my former hometown of Petaluma. I lived there for a decade. My kids went to school there where Mike teaches. It's a wonderful community and it's an honor to be invited back to, to host today's event. Project Censored has been around since 1976. We are co-sponsors of Banned Books Week which has been around since 1982. The American Library Association and Office for Intellectual Freedom compiles a list of the most challenged books each year. And we're also part of the National Coalition Against Censorship, which is a very important organization. Project Censored does more with news literacy and information, but we are part of a much broader community of people that champion the freedom of expression and the right to read and the right to be heard. And today we have an amazing panel of people that are going to share their experiences with you. I was given a list of questions compiled by students. And so we want to have people participate as much as possible. I'll interject as little as possible so we can hear from our, our wonderful guests. So again, thanks so much for having me. And it's, it's an honor to be here. Well, you heard the backdrop. Mike Watt just said we saw... Maya's book up on PBS a couple of weeks ago, which I applaud, but of course, maybe for the wrong reasons. It's kind of interesting that both at Project Censored and Banned Books Week, we have lists of the top banned books or top censored stories as a way of replatforming and amplifying the significance of what those books or stories are actually about, where the voices are coming from. And that's the real issue. It's a shame that you have to have senators like Ted Cruz hold your book up at a Supreme Court justice uh, nomination hearing in order for it to skyrocket on the bestsellers list. This happened to a, one of my uh, sociologist colleagues a couple weeks ago. Maya, I can only say that it's a strange badge of honor that this kind of attention is being bestowed on your very important work and your very important and unique voice. To put this in bigger context and jump into the questions, there have been more banned books and book challenges this year than any time since 2000. We're talking about ranging anywhere between how you cut it or how you count it, over 700 up to 1,500, close to 1,600 book challenges across the U.S., some 42 states dealing with bills or laws restricting academic freedom and what people can teach around critical race theory or teaching about marginalized communities. So we are in the middle of a massive wave of censorship in the United States. And I know that's usually a mind blower for people because a lot of folks don't understand what censorship looks like or what the architecture of it looks like in a place like the United States. But our guests today are gonna to talk about that. And I think that we're gonna come away with a better understanding. And I really hope that we come away with the understanding that banning books and censorship are never the solutions to our challenges in society. So with that, I wanna start with some of our student questions. And 
starts out with a really great one. Why do you think people use banning books as a strategy to motivate their cause? And why don't we start with, with Maya and we'll just kind of go around the Hollywood squares here. Maya, tackle that one. Why do you think people use book banning as a strategy to motivate their cause? That is a good question. I don't think it's necessarily a complete monolith. I think there are a certain amount of book challenges and bans that are motivated by parental protectiveness and the desire to keep young people safe and protect them from harmful material. However, I actually think that that's probably not the majority of bans. That's like a smaller subset. And that the larger amount is people just trying to erase voices and opinions that they don't agree with from libraries and other places where information is freely available to all. And then I think there's another subset, which people who don't actually care about the books at all and just realize that it is a talking point that will land them in the media. And I definitely think we saw this in fall of last year around the midterm elections. Several politicians, including the Republican candidate for governor in Virginia, made book challenges a real talking point of his campaign. And unfortunately, he was elected. So it was part of his successful campaign. And I think people have, especially in this sort of viral social media age, realized that a book challenge or a book ban could very easily be something that spreads really quickly on social media, gets you a ton of views, and really riles people up. And I think the fact that conservative groups who are often organizing on Facebook or social media seems a successful strategy for them. So Noah, how about you tackle the same one? Why do you think people are using book banning strategy to motivate their causes? It's a good question. And I agree with Maya that not all book bans are like born of the same motivations, but the book <laughs> I illustrated, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, is a picture book that equips kids with very simple very like basic level words they can use to talk about gender identity, including defining words like cisgender, transgender, non-binary. And I think the main reason it's been attacked, and I think this is also a main reason that books like Maya's have been attacked too, is that there is this sector of conservatives who are rising in power and in the space they take up politically, who want to erase trans people from existing. And I think the easiest way for them to do that is to target trans kids and to take away the resources that allow trans kids to come out and name their gender identity at a young age and feel supported. And it's the same reason why we're seeing so many anti-trans bills becoming laws across the country. And it's really scary. I am really scared about it. So Jupiter and then Chloe, let's have you address the same question, if you will. Jupiter, if you want to address this, why do you think people want to control what you're reading? I think that, first of all, Maya and Noah answered the questions really well. And I agree that not all bands come from the same cause. But with these books that we're talking about, it seems like a way for especially conservative people to use the power that they're suddenly gaining recently to try to, I guess, hide trans people or people of the LGBTQIA plus community. I think 
that's what I would have to say for that. It's just kind of a way of them using their power to let the word be like less spread, I guess. Yeah, Chloe, what do you think? I definitely agree with Jupiter. I think that a lot, definitely, it doesn't all come from the same place. And some people might want to try and hide trans transgender people and people from the LGBTQ plus community. And some people want to ban a book because of their thoughts or because they thought it was maybe too violent. But I definitely think with a lot of the power and I guess social recognition that they've gained, they are able to create a bigger splash, so to speak, of their cause and what they think and have that be able to have really push it out to the public and let them know that this is what I think and I'm, I think this so strongly that I want to ban a book that mentions that. Yeah, that's really well, really well put and great responses from all of you. You're listening to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Eleanor Goldfield will return later in May. Today on the program, we air Freedom of Expression, a Lumicon panel, an event held earlier in April sponsored by the Sonoma County Library in Northern California that included Maya Kababe, Noah Greenyi, and student activists. I was the host of that event. Stay tuned for more on Freedom of Expression after this musical break. I'm going to combine the next couple. They're kind of related. These are issues around, we often hear people talking about. We hear people trying to challenge a book or they don't want their kids to read a book or the real ripple effect really kind of is the fact that you may not want to read something or see something doesn't give you the right to prevent everyone else from seeing it and reading it. So do you think that there are instances where book banning might be appropriate? That's kind of a strong term, book banning and appropriate. Maybe we could have different layers or levels. Maybe there's, quote, age appropriate issues. And that's often what comes up, right? In many of, in many of the claims of, well, I don't want this book to be read by my kid. And often a reason that's given is people start arguing about what's age appropriate. So I wanted to hear what you think about, do you think there are any instances where this is of concern? And what criteria do you think that people use to try to ban books, merging those together? Yeah, I, I mean, I am completely against all book bans, and I don't think there's ever a time when a book should be banned, ever. Because even books that I don't agree with, that I think maybe hold dangerous or damaging political ideas, people can know what that information is so that they can more easily recognize it when they encounter it in the real world. That being said, not every book is 
meant for like a kindergarten classroom. There are some books that are aimed at an older audience, but it's also, I think it's really hard to maybe even impossible to slap a like age appropriate like rating, especially on a book like mine, partly because there are young people who would be ready for my book at one age and other young people who wouldn't be ready for it until a later age. And I know myself, like I would have been ready for my own book at age 13, I think, but not maybe every young person would. What I really think is that the book needs to be on the library shelf so that a young person who is already looking for this can find it if they are searching for it already. And so it's like, I, I think the book needs to be there on the shelf, specifically in like a public library. I don't think any books should be taken off of the shelves. Yeah, especially in educational settings and public intellectual settings, like you're saying, certainly at Project Censored, we oppose censorship in its many guises. And that's why having a position, default position of banning books is not the solution. That's, That's not the starting point. Noah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I do agree that books should never be banned. And, but I do also want to reframe the question to add a little more nuance to like, should speech ever be censored? And Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a difference between defending free speech and defending hate speech, for example. And when we're in a space that's intended to be safe, I think it's appropriate to not allow anything that has slurs or hateful rhetoric in that space. But that's, that is in the context of private community spaces rather than like public libraries. And I also, I have to reflect on the ways that the right has also weaponized free speech as like a way to justify spreading messages of hate. And a few years ago, I counter-protested against a conservative free speech rally in Boston that had some extremely dangerous hate groups in attendance, such as white nationalists, such as the Proud Boys, were there supposedly protesting free speech and there was an overwhelming counter-protest that showed up to shut it down. And so I hold that in my mind as a case where it's appropriate to censor somebody's hate speech because they have the capacity to cause real harm in community. But I don't think it's ever appropriate to ban a book or to make information that someone's published like unfindable. Well, we're certainly living in a, in a time where, where there are many, many efforts to censor a lot of things. And I do wanna say that while this is something that definitely is happening from the right, that there, is, there are also censorious causes that come from other ends of the political spectrum. And I think it's important to be able to have forums that we discuss this. And I think again, going back to that, never the solution. Banning of books is is not the way to facilitate that kind of dialogue. And I'm really glad, Noah, that you brought the very challenging problem of hate speech in it. Ideas of sexism and racism and classism and ableism and down the list we go. 
those are really toxic kinds of communication that don't help build community. And in many cases, when we're exposed to books and different ideas, rather than get defensive and build walls, we could use those as opportunities to build bridges between people that we don't know about or that we don't understand. And that's why the right to read and teach and academic freedom are so important. Jupiter and Chloe, what do you think about this issue? I would also have to agree that I don't think it's the solution for books to just flat out be banned. I don't think that all books should be read by everyone of all ages because a lot of books, it would be the best solution for someone older to read it. But for the second part of the question of if there are like criteria, I guess, to put it simply, if there's a topic that certain people would disagree with, for example, like transgender awareness, their mind goes to this can't be viewed because I disagree with it personally. And I know that from what I've read that some of these book bannings are happening by parents who are concerned about their kids because they don't want their kids to know about these topics. So I think that's a lot, that's a lot of that comes from like a parental thing. Chloe? Yeah, I definitely think that book banning is never something that one should resort to because a lot of people, especially in people that are experimenting with their gender and sexual orientation, and they may live in a home that has parents or has other family members that don't agree with that. Jupiter, Mike Watt reminded me that you all had some questions that you wanted to ask. So hopefully Chloe can rejoin us, but I wanted to, to ask, would you like to ask the panel one of your questions? I think that the questions that we kind of wanted to ask were already being asked for us all to answer, but I think one that I was going to ask was, how do you like personally feel about your books being banned? That's kind of a general question, but it's just something that I came up with. Yeah, I mean, I found out last week that Genderqueer was, in fact, the number one most challenged book of 2021. I got a really comprehensive report from PEN America, which is another organization that tracks book challenges and uh, champions freedom of speech, that it had been either banned or was currently under review in 30 school districts and across a range of states in the country. And it's really hard because definitely what I have found through this experience is that a book being challenged or banned doesn't actually hurt the book. What it hurts is the community where the challenge is taking place. These bans and challenges have raised my profile as an author. I have done a lot of press because of it. I've spoken on NPR. I've been published on the Washington Post. It is in a weird way raising my profile as an author, but it's really damaging the communities where it is happening. Because even when a challenge is successfully overturned by librarians or teachers or students speaking up and the book is returned, it just, first of all, it takes a ton of time and energy on the part of the librarians and teachers and students. So it's like sucking up a ton of their energy and effort. Young people who are maybe relating to a book that is being challenged are receiving the message from a part of their community that we don't want you here or we are not interested in your story we are not interested in what you have to say and what your perspective and viewpoint is and i think it's important to note we've been talking a lot about queer and trans books which are heavily featured on the most challenged list are not queer and trans books are almost entirely books by authors of color 
the history of race in America. And then there's also a subset that are tend to be about sex education, abortion rights, and that, those sorts of topics. Almost every book that has been challenged recently is written by an author from some marginalized community or, or is existing in you know, multiple marginalizations. So queer and POC, for example. The books we are seeing banned are almost never because they contain like instances of hate speech, such as Noah was mentioning, unless they're contained in the aspect of, say, a POC author writing about a character having to deal with racially charged harassment and then facing it down. So it's even if those type of slurs are included, it's in a sense of a character from the point of view of the marginalized character having to deal with that in their day-to-day life and how they generally overcome it. So I try not to let the challenges impact me emotionally in the sense of internalizing anything about the quality of my work, basically. Because the other thing is, is I believe that the majority of the people who are challenging my book have actually never read it. Partly because they will list these like complaints of like, this is why I didn't like the book. And it's things that are not even in the book that I have that are not in the book, that are not the themes of the book. They'll make assumptions about me as the author. And I'm like, that is patently untrue. And because my book is a memoir, if you would have read it, you would know things about my life that you clearly do not know. So I definitely am not taking it personally in that sense. I'm taking it personally in the sense that it's personal to me that young people are being deprived of information that I think is really valuable for them to have. Absolutely. Noah? Yeah. Thanks, Maya, for making that clarification, because like when I was talking, I did not mean authors of marginalized identities, like using slurs that were used against them in the context of like a character learning how to fight back. I meant like literature that hate groups are disseminating, and I still don't think it's appropriate to ban that, but that's also like neither here nor there, because that's like not what the current wave of book bans is about. And how do I feel? I feel sad that there has been not as huge of a backlash as against your book, but there has been a really big backlash against It Feels Good to Be Yourself. And to me, this book is so mild. There is nothing at all controversial in it. It's just the inclusion of characters who are trans and non-binary. And it is just that parents don't want their kids to have access to those words and those definitions. And it makes me really sad that it's been policed so heavily and there have been hate videos made about it. This guy made a whole video about how he hates the book so much. And he referred to me in the video as a bearded woman. So that was fun. And people have made all kinds of assumptions about me, generally assuming my assigned gender at birth incorrectly. And it kind of makes me laugh, but like in a sad way, because Yeah, I think most of the people who are advancing these book bans are doing so for their own political gain and for their own fear and prejudice, and they have not even read the books. 
that they're railing against. And we even saw Ted Cruz ranting about anti-racist baby during the Angie mm. Brown Jackson confirmation hearings just a few weeks ago. And yeah, it's ridiculous. Like Ted Cruz didn't read anti-racist baby. He's just mad. And that um, is so <laughs> short. I think you can read it in like 15 minutes maybe. And it pushed that book up to the New York Times bestseller list. So like, that's what I mean when I say like a book ban doesn't hurt the book. It hurts the community. The people who are hurt most by a book ban are the readers who are already the most marginalized. Like people who don't have the financial means to buy a book if it's not available for free in the library. People who would not feel safe bringing a book that's really obviously queer into their home if they have, you know, unsupportive parents. It's like, even as I see book sales rise, it's frustrating to me that I know that the people buying the book are like generally people of a certain level of privilege and people who are, has their access is being blocked are people who have less privilege. I wanted to echo what Maya said and just like name that this is a very white panel that we're having and Maya and I can talk about being policed mm -hmm. as white non-binary trans creators but most of the creators who are being policed are people of color. And most of the anger from the right is being directed at critical race theory, or even not even necessarily critical race theory, but even any book that has a protagonist who is not both white and straight. It's really sad the amount of books that have been banned just because they center someone who is not privileged in all ways. Those are important points to, to repeat, I think, over and over again. Uh, as Maya said, uh, an overwhelming number of the books on the challenge list are by people from marginalized communities, uh, are about those very issues where people are trying to relay their story and how they're oppressed how they have been marginalized. As someone who's an historian, you know, I teach about these ideas and unfortunately they're not new. It is surprising that in 2022, that we are here having this conversation in some ways <laughs> because we've had plenty of opportunities to learn about how censorship backfires, it's not the solution. And we have a lot to learn from each other. And there are a lot of ways we can support each other rather than try to divide each other. And again, Noah, you just brought this up. Maya did. I brought it up earlier. It's as if one political party in Washington is busy campaigning for midterm elections and they'll just use any vehicle they have to go back to these one or two issues that are just hot button issues for their base. And I teach social science and I can tell you I don't run into too many people that even know what critical race theory is or was, and most people never heard of it before last year. So I'm not sure how big of a threat it, it could possibly be, but we're reminded every day that we have to be on the lookout somehow for teachers that want to indoctrinate their students. As a teacher, let me tell you, my job is never to indoctrinate anyone, but gee, wouldn't it be nice if the students were listening that much, right? <laughs> I think a lot of folks don't give students enough credit. Students aren't there just to regurgitate what they're hearing. They're there to take it in and then tell you what they think about it and contribute and add to that. And that's what all of your work does. That's what your books do. And that's why Band Books Week is so important in the fall. 
Library Week is now really important. Listening to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio, I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Eleanor Goldfield will return later in May. Today on the program, we air Freedom of Expression, an event held earlier in April, sponsored by the Sonoma County Library in Northern California, that included Maya Kababe, Noah Greeny, and student activists. We have permission to share this program with you from all of the event's organizers, including the parents of the minor students. Special thanks to Karen Ballerini and teachers Mike Watt and Nathan Liebkap. I was the host of that event. Stay tuned for more on freedom of expression after this musical break. things that we can cover here. One of them actually is coming from Nathan, one of, one of our hosts. Why is freedom of expression such an essential right? Go back to the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article 19 specifically calls for the protection of expression, which means not just the right to impart messages, but the right to be heard as a human right. That goes back to 1948. And I think it's a really important concept. Maya, do you want to want to address that for us, please? Just the importance of being able to express and being heard. Yeah, why yeah. is freedom of expression such an essential right? It's the basis of communication and connection. Nobody is born knowing anything. We only get to know things through learning. And I think part of where books come into that is there is so much human knowledge at this point. And reading books specifically by authors who maybe are different from you and have different life experiences than you and can show you the world through their eyes, I think that is so important to just have more empathy for the other humans around us. And then the flip side of that is if you are someone who has not been seen very much, has not seen yourself represented in media, to then read books by authors who are similar to you. And so then get that that sense of like recognition and mirroring and feeling like, oh, I'm not the only one who's experiencing the world in this way. And I'm in whatever my feelings and experiences are. And yeah, I think like having books are, it's so important to like build both like bridges and connections and empathy. Noah? Yeah, I can't remember who coined this term, but there's um, like discussion about books as mirrors and windows and how important it is to both have windows into the lives of other people and how important it is to have mirrors where you can see yourself, especially if you are someone who's marginalized in any way. It is extremely important to just have some representation that you can find of an experience like yours. And I can't imagine how much that would have helped me if I had 
seeing trans characters in media as a child, I think that would have just spared me so much pain and trauma if I had been able to vocalize my feelings about my gender sooner. Um, and it really is vital to the well-being of kids that they see themselves reflected in the world around them. And it's really scary that people think they can take that away and are campaigning so hard to do so by censoring any book that any book that represents an experience that they would like to put down. I think the right to express and connect and be heard and see, see yourself and see others is central to who we are as people. Jupiter, you want to talk about that issue? Yeah. I think that a lot of what I had to say was already covered, so I'll just agree with what everyone else said and also add that, and this is like kind of echoing as well, but with freedom of expression, it's so important for like, especially people who are struggling with some part of their identity that there's other people in the world who can relate to them and that can make them feel less alone. And as Noah said, I'm also a trans person and I wish I could have had access to these kinds of books when I was younger because I know it would have been a lot easier for me to figure out these things about myself. And for an example, this was like definitely a smaller thing, but in Maya's book that I was reading, there was a reference to a book I read and didn't think anyone else read. So that was such a good feeling of being like recognized. And that's a really small thing, but it leads to a bigger topic of it feels so good to know that you're not alone and you're not the only person who feels this way or thinks that they are a certain way. So I think that it's, it's good to build a sense of that there are other people like, like you. So well said. Chloe? Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't even, like everyone has said so many like amazing things that I completely agree with. I don't even know what to say now. I definitely think that, like I was saying before, that a lot of people use books as a way to educate themselves if they don't have access by their parents or by teachers, ed educating themselves using books by that maybe they can relate to or that they have heard from other people that are like them that they relate to. A lot of people use them as a way to educate themselves. Maybe their parents or their teachers aren't able to or refuse to. Like I didn't know that a lot of my friends were also part of the LGBTQ plus community and I thought that I, I was just really different from them and that maybe they wouldn't be able to relate to me. And now almost all of my friend group, we are part of the LGBTQ community and it makes me feel I guess it makes me feel like really supported and that I'm also able to support my friends if they are like having questions or they are struggling with figuring out a lot of stuff so I think that having being able to relate to people even if even if they're books or or if they're 
TV shows or people around you, I think it's really important. Thanks so much for that, Chloe. One more question for the panel, and it's kind of merging part of a question that one of our attendees put forth in the chat, and it kind of dovetails into to this, this really big final question. The question was, well, if free speech is such a human right, how do legislators even get to pass these book banning laws unchallenged? And so I'm going to rephrase that slightly. Basically, rights must be protected. They need to be enforced. And that's why we need to be civically engaged. And we need to be civically engaged for all of us, not just for one particular agenda or one particular idea. And that's why it's so important that people have multiple literacies, right? Including media literacy, civic literacy. These things are really important to learn. And of course, where do we learn a lot of this? We learn these through books. We learn it through education. And that's why that's a real go-to avenue for people who are really worried about different things or different ideas. There's a reaction. They want to control what people are allowed to see or hear. And fear is often a really big motivator. And so the opposite the antidote to fear is being active and, and being part of something and being empathetic and being open to different ideas. And those are things we can model. As Maya said earlier, we're not born racist and sexist. We're not born this way. And so it's important to teach and give people the opportunity to be more open and to not use fear and censorship as, as a tool in society. So I want you all to address that really big issue about protecting rights of speech and expression. But this is the real, the nice way to get us toward the end of our conversation for today. And then I know that Mike wanted Maya and Noah in particular to talk about some of their work and we'll, we'll do that. So here's the big question. What can people do to push back against book banning? What can we do to push back against this and support the right to read and to support academic freedom. Maya, let's start with you. I think if you hear about a book challenge in your community, and I think generally it's not a law that's being passed, it's usually a specific case of a parent or group challenging a book or series of books in their library system or school. To if you have read the book and you think it's important and you think it's valuable, to either write an email or phone call or show up at a school board meeting, or if they're available, like if it's a city council meeting or something, show up and say, hey, I thought this book was good and it was important to me and I learned something from it. And specifically to let the people who are defending it, the teachers, the librarians and students know, I'm with you, I support you, because the people who are challenging it can be very loud, very angry, very aggressive, and it can just get really discouraging to feel so attacked. But if you can be a voice behind the support of the book and the support of books staying on the shelves and freedom of speech and all of that, that can be so helpful. I have gotten, you know, a fair amount of mean DMs about the situation of my book since last fall, but I've also gotten a lot of messages of people saying things like, I saw that your book was being challenged, so I made a point to go out and read it, and I really enjoyed it. And that means so much to me that people are finding it and then taking the time to reach out to me and say, you know, I, I really liked your book, or, you know, it helped me figure out who I am, or, it, you know, it helped me have a conversation I hadn't had before with a family member or a friend. That means a ton. So I think just being a vocal supporter of books, 
specifically books that are being challenged is huge. Thanks, Maya. Noah? Yeah, like Maya said, often these book bans are so localized to a school board or a school district. They are very rarely like at a governmental level that it's hard to get involved unless you live in a place where books are being banned. And if you do, on the flip side, if you do live in a place where this is happening, one local voice can make a big difference. So showing up to school board meetings and emailing people can make a difference if this is happening in your community. But in general, I would say buy books that are being attacked. And in the case of books for children, make sure that the children in your life have access to books that affirm all different types of identities. And and you could donate a copy to your local school library, but definitely I've also received a lot of hate from people who don't even know what they're talking about. But I've also received a lot of affirmations from people who found out about it feels good to be yourself because it was being attacked by transphobic people and who like responded by buying five copies of the book for their local library. And that always made me feel really encouraged to know that there are still people who will make sure that trans-affirming books will get into the hands of kids. Listening to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio, I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Eleanor Goldfield will return later in May. Today on the program, we air Freedom of Expression, an event held earlier in April, sponsored by the Sonoma County Library in Northern California, that included Maya Kababe, Noah Greeny, and student activists. I was the host of that event. Stay tuned for more on Freedom of Expression after this musical break. And it's important to, if you have, if you're lucky to have in your community, a local independent bookstore, please support the local independent bookstores. That's a very, very important part of the community. I know in Petaluma, Copperfields for a long time, just an absolute gem for that community. Not all communities are fortunate enough to have those kinds of bookstores. So please support them. And I will say this out loud, please try not to buy books from Amazon. They are the bane of the, of the book and publishing world. And as an author myself with several books going on at the same time, I love to donate them. We love to try to give as many away as possible because it's about sharing the information. But the best way if you want to get copies is try to buy, try to buy it from your local independent bookstore or bookshop.org which helps you find or support local bookstores that are in other communities. So Jupiter and Chloe, we want to hear from you. What can we be doing? What do you think 
we can be doing? And from your perspective too, as, as students, what do you think we should be doing? I know for me, the thing that I've been doing is reading them as much as I can. I've been borrowing them from my school library, which doesn't support banned books. So any books that are banned, they'll still have them or purchasing them from my local bookstore. I've been making it a priority to read them and draw attention to them because we can all participate in supporting authors whose books are being banned. And as Maya said, it's good to find any events that you can participate in because it might seem like you can't make a difference, but you can if this is an issue that's happening in your community. And I just want to make a little example. Chloe has a little brother and he's being raised in such an inclusive space. It makes me so happy to watch him grow up in this environment that supports him in whatever he wants to do. He's been wearing a lot of like dresses lately. In fact, I'm giving him one of mine tomorrow, but watching him express himself in this way makes him really happy and it makes me really happy. And I think that all kids should have that space where they can just do whatever they want because I know He's really happy knowing that he can do what he wants and he can wear what he wants with these like people who are supporting him. Thanks, Jupiter. Chloe? I definitely would recommend going to a local bookstore, a local bookstore that has banned books or sells the banned book and donating banned books to your school library because it's really important. Pushing back, looking up, researching different protests or activist groups that are pushing back against book banning is really important because it really affects a lot of people. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to thank everybody here for your participating and we wanted to hand some things off. Mike Watt wanted to hand back off to you and then of course we want to hand back off to Karen to close things out today. It's been a real honor to host you all. It's been an honor to have this conversation. Um, this is a topic that is very, very near and dear to me, particularly news literacy, fighting against propaganda and, and censorship. I'll try to make a point to get links to, if this is gonna be on YouTube or somewhere else, I'll, I'll try to help compile a lot of resources if my help is needed. Again, um, it's really been an honor and uh, on behalf of the work we do at Media Freedom Foundation, Project Censored, thanks again for, for uh, having me be here today. So Mike Watt. Hey, well, thank you, Mickey. You've done a fantastic job. But before we go, I, I probably should have done this at the beginning, but I'd like the artists to showcase their publications, their books. Tell us a little bit about your process and whatever you have to do. So uh, Maya, would you like to explain a little bit about yours quickly? Genderqueer is a memoir. It's about my own experience coming out in terms of gender and sexuality and learning non-binary language and sharing that sort of part of myself with my community. It came out in 2019. We are releasing a hardback deluxe edition in June of this year that's going to have a new cover art, an intro by Andy Stevenson, the showrunner of She Rock Princess of Power, and afterward written by me and some bonus art. This is my first full-length book and currently my only full-length book. I'm working on another book, but it's not out in the world yet. And Maya, are you joining us at Lumicon this year? Yay! So come on by and meet Maya and have her sign your book and stuff like that. And uh, Noah, what can you tell us about your book besides that beautiful art that you have in the background that you so skillfully stacked? 
Well, the, the paintings behind me actually don't relate to the book, but the book I illustrated is It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. And it is a book that is intended to introduce the earliest reader to the concept of gender identity using language that's accessible and open-ended and provides flexible definitions without boxing kids in. And it's illustrated in watercolor. And the original illustrations will actually be on display in the Boston Children's Museum next week and all summer, along with this series of large-scale paintings that I've done of trans kids in my community. So I'm really looking forward to that. Nikki, I understand you have a book or two. Getting close to 20 these days. If only people would read them, Mike, right? (laughs) That's why we support the right to read. Yeah, actually, just this year, the latest annual Project Censored book is out, State of the Free Press 2022, with the top underreported stories. This year, the foreword was written by Danielle McLean, who is the first openly trans person to serve on the Society of Professional Journalists National Board, doing really great work, the Society of Professional Journalists, and also a critical thinking textbook, Let's Agree to Disagree, a critical thinking guide to communication, conflict management, and critical media literacy that talks a lot about the things we were dealing with today and really helps try to build toolkits for people. These include things like empathy, critical thinking, assessing sources, multiple literacies. So we really tried to to put into one volume something that teachers can use, people can use in their communities. We do talks all over the country around censorship and they're usually around very controversial issues. And the main thing people say to us is, How do we talk to these other people that are so different or we don't understand? These people can't be reached. And if starting from the premise that someone can't be reached, we're in an intractable position. We have to, we have to to teach people differently that we all can be reached. We can reach others and we can help and facilitate that not through hate, but through love and acceptance. And we have to learn how to do that better. And we have to support people that are struggling with it. And particularly people that are on the receiving end. Of, of hateful messages and exclusionary messages. We need to stand in support of those people in those communities. And that's what we tried to do in this new textbook. So in a nutshell, you can learn more at projectcensored.org. We have a weekly radio program where I hope actually we'll be repurposing today's wonderful conversation as a show that'll air all over the country on 50 some community media stations. So with that, I just want to thank everybody for all the important things that you all do. It's really an honor to be amongst you all. And special thanks to Mike, Nathan, Karen, and the good folks at the Petaluma Library. So thanks again so much. And I want to say personally thank you to Mickey for taking on the reins and using his professional radio voice there for the interview. Thank you, sir. Maya and Noah for sharing your art, your insight into the the process of dealing with this banned books, and a super big thanks to Jupiter and Chloe for using their Saturday to come out and helping us out. So, and to Karen for pushing the right buttons there, making sure our Zoom moves along, and for Nathan being in the background and helping out. And thanks to all the listeners and viewers out there for spending some of your Saturday with us, talking about this super important subject of banned books. So I think the message is, go out and get a banned book. And remember that our library will always be an inclusive space that will never support the banning of books. 
So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Go buy a band book. You've been listening to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio, established in 2010 by myself and Peter Phillips. I'm Mickey Huff, the executive producer and host of the program. Anthony Fest is our longtime senior producer. The Project Censored Show airs on roughly 50 stations around the United States from Maui to New York. To learn more about our work or find any of our previous archive programs, go to projectcensored.org. Please follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the official Project Censored show on your cell phone's podcast application. Please feel free to share your feedback about our work at projectcensored.org. And last but not least, thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay well. We'll see you next time. Think about crimes perpetrated by criminal minds, political ties, habitualized alibis, skies, and other guys, democracy, politics, and the apocalypse. Got the skies looking ominous. So the ocean burned bright with waves full of poison. Genocide wars fall for little poison. The weapons manufactured made for our attacks and all the bridges and the levees and the mines collapsing. All the prisons, build the capacity, citizens, and the ties for the master thief. Combine and conquer, steal the masterpiece. Open your eyes and realize what's happening. Time's running out the reach, all potential fame at the table, then you're probably on the menu. We got that love.